Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to another episode of Lost in Science, where it is science, it is uh, something to get lost in, to you know, drift away and let your mind wander and think about, I don't know, the universe, uh, the meaning of it all, uh, how it all works, anything like that. Um, something to ponder as we talk to Claire and Stu about their science stories they have brought in. Claire, Hello, what have you Chris. got for us this week? Well, this week um, I am speaking to a special guest about vaccines. Oh, topical. It is topical, isn't it? But Chris, this isn't human vaccines for Mm. COVID like we've been speaking about for what seems like a long time. Um, This is koala vaccines for a a disease that is um, threatening koala populations. I don't know if you've heard, but koalas get chlamydia. Did you know that? I had heard that. I don't like to think about that too much. Maybe this is not the story for people to get lost in and drift away and their minds wander and think about. But um, I guess you have to face up the reality of koalas and And, and chlamydia. And it has some some really, really um, negative effects on population and their fertility and um, the just you know the longevity of the species which is which has been put at huge risk and um, been threatened even more from the bushfires over the past couple of years um, but some very clever scientists um, and our guest today professor Peter Timms from the University of the Sunshine Coast have developed a vaccine for chlamydia that are that is in its uh, phase three, trials um specifically for koalas but um that doesn't mean that there won't in the future be a vaccine for chlamydia in humans as well i kind of like the idea that they've enrolled a whole bunch of koalas in this trial and some of them are getting a placebo (laughs) and um then presumably i mean koala populations aren't huge presumably once they're finished they just then vaccinate the placebo people and they're done yeah Presumably, um, but yeah. it's 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 fascinating and really interesting as well because chlamydia is a bacteria. Mm. Um, so, um, but but antibiotics don't work in the same way in koalas as they do in humans. So, some very very interesting stories, and um, had a really interesting chat with with Peter about that. Fantastic! Looking forward to that. Stu, can you compete with that? Well, I don't know. I don't know if I can compete with uh, STIs in koalas, but um, well, I, I will mention STIs in my story, but probably not for the reason you think. I'm going to be talking about celebrating science and, you know, that we should have more days put aside for the celebration of science and the promotion of science and the discussion of science and all of these things. And there is a day coming up. What? In... In the next couple of weeks, yeah. that is all about talking about and promoting and celebrating science. And it may be a day that a lot of us have never heard about, even though it's a world day. 
Wow. I right. thought National Science Week was the biggest science event on the calendar for us. Well, you were wrong. <laughs> but I won't give too much too much away. Uh, you'll have to stay tuned and listen to the story and find out what am I talking about. Mm. Um, and also, while you're there, mark November 10th on your calendar. Remember, remember the 10th of November, as the saying goes. Well, look, I don't know. I mean, I think we talk about science a lot anyway, so even if we don't know about this particular special day, we're pretty much covered, I imagine. Well, yes. If you tune into if you tune into Lost in Science every week, every week has a day devoted to science just for you. So there you go. Problem solved. Tick. Okay, well, I look forward to finding out Stu's justification for this um, this whole other side of things. Um, on with the show. There are many threats facing koalas in Australia right now, but did you know that one of the biggest threats is chlamydia, with this disease affecting around 50% of some populations of koalas? Now, this week, there has been some very promising research published in the development of a vaccine for koala chlamydia. And to chat more about it, we have Professor of Microbiology, Peter Timms, from the University of the Sunshine Coast. Peter, welcome to Lost in Science. Thanks, Claire. Happy to be here. Um, Now, Peter, from a microbiological point of view, what is chlamydia? Yeah, so chlamydia is a bacterium, a small bacterium um, that, that infects not only koalas, it infects humans, of course. It's a pretty important disease in humans, other animals, but koalas, it's really uh, causing a bit of an issue there. Right. And um, how, yeah, talking about the koala population, how does it affect the koala population? Yeah, it's, it's pretty widespread. It's present at higher levels in Queensland and New South Wales, by and large. It, it, it affects more koalas there and it seems to cause more disease there. We're not too sure why that's the case. Uh, plenty of studies going to see whether there's different strains and so on. Victoria also has its more than its share of familial disease, perhaps not quite as um, severe as other states and indeed South Australia as well. Uh, what does it do? So it's basically a sexually transmitted disease, although it's highly transmitted from young, mother to young as well. We can talk about why that's the case. So in, in, as a sexually transmitted disease, it affects both males and females, but it particularly it's the females that matter. It causes urinary infections, and that leads to things like urinary incontinence. So with the, the, the term wet bottom is due to chlamydia. But it also causes large cysts, and they're quite painful in the animals. Um, in fact, you know, when some animals with cysts uh, actually cry when they're urinating, that's sort of level of pain. But it also causes um, reproductive tract blockages. So it, it, the end result is that um, mothers are not able to have uh, baby koalas as easily. So the reproduction rate of populations decreases. That's the main problem. But it also causes eye infections, the same as chlamydia trachoma, this causes trachoma in humans. Um, so in koalas, it causes uh, conjunctivitis that can lead to eventual scarring. The, uh, the eyelids turn in and scar the eyes. So in that case, the animals become literally blind. Uh, not as common um, and perhaps not as important, but of course it affects their feeding and so on. So the two of them combined, um, pretty important uh, disease in koalas across Australia. So, I mean, it sounds like an incredibly nasty disease and if, you know, it's a sexually transmitted disease, but as you say, it also can be transmitted from mother to baby as well. Yeah, it is. A mother to baby one, 
people probably don't think about this, but uh, koalas have a specialised uh, level of bacteria in their gut. They need that sort of just the eucalyptus leaves. And so the mothers actually purposely regurgitate some of their contents and spit it out and, and give it to their babies. Right. Um, which makes sense. But at the same yeah. time, they're probably giving them chlamydia as well. So that's why there's a high transmission to baby koalas as well. So, uh, yeah, all of that together. Um, and I'll just mention briefly about antibiotics. So antibiotics, we know in humans that there's an antibiotic that kills chlamydia. The problem in koalas is twofold. Um, the koala is eating eucalyptus leaves and that's got lots of toxins in it. And so its liver actually has, has developed so that it's designed to produce more enzymes to break down those nasty toxins, which is good. But when we give it antibiotics, it breaks them down as well. And so in humans, we might give antibiotics for as short as one day, some of the tablets we give, but certainly just a few days. In koalas, because of that, um, we have to give koalas antibiotics daily, sometimes ending up to four weeks of it. A ridiculously length of time and that results in their gut bacteria being basically destroyed or severely affected so antibiotics per se are not an ideal treatment for chlamydia in koalas and that has led us to the interest in a vaccine and what do we know about why chlamydia has has um, taken hold of koala populations um you know with such fervor over the last little while is it is it a combination of factors and all the other threats that koalas are facing or yeah i, I think the answer is we don't absolutely know but what we do see is yeah other other threats environmental threats um bushfires a little bit but also uh other, other things that uh that might be causing uh, climate change or a problem to us um uh but as well as that uh there's probably other things that are affecting uh the situation and uh, droughts and so on, all of these things, and also then urban development as we keep building roads, shopping centres, all those things. All those things seem to result in stress, and that is just one additional factor um, combined with chlamydial disease. So there's a few examples, um, and I'll just use one in uh, northern New South Wales I'm sort of loosely aware of where seven, eight years ago, there's a population that seemed to be going along quite well. Its numbers were probably increasing. Most females were having babies. Um, and then chlamydia seems to have moved into that population. And now there's 50, 60, 70% infection levels. And the number of babies is very, very low now. So that's just what it can do in a relatively short period of time. Um, it's possible to turn it around. There's another population in Southeast Queensland we've been studying where um, they were on a downhill slope again and the veterinary team involving us from a vaccine point of view, but also other veterinary measures, is able to turn that population around so it goes up again. So I think the answer is populations on their own are not able to survive um, what is an increasing chlamydia epidemic, I guess. Right. Well, that, um, that brings us to a good point to talk about the research um, that you're involved in to develop a vaccine for chlamydia in koalas. Like you say, antibiotics, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not an appropriate way to deal with this disease like it is in humans. So um, going with a vaccine and developing a vaccine seemed to be the way to go. Can you talk us through um, what that's looked like, what the development of a vaccine uh, for koala chlamydia is look like? Yeah, sure. Um, we've been interested in you know, young developing a koala chlamydia vaccine for more than 10 years now. I have some interest in human chlamydia vaccines as well, but we, we saw the opportunity as we were studying chlamydial disease to look at a, a chlamydial vaccine in koalas as well. And so we've been able to work uh, in koalas across, uh, I think it's eight different 
mini trials, uh, controlled ones in koalas, and some of them are in places like uh, koala sanctuaries where there's no chlamydia, so we're just measuring response to vaccination, immune response. Then we've been able to do it in some wild koalas that come into hospitals, and indeed we've done it in a couple of um, wild populations where the koalas themselves have got radio collars on them. So we've been able to work with the group there to vaccinate and follow them every six months to see under the natural conditions. And that's led us to see that we, uh, we see that the vaccine is safe. We've done 250 koalas now that we've monitored them quite closely. That's safe. We see a reduction in infectious disease and the chlamydia stuff in koalas is you know, amazingly similar in many respects to the COVID vaccine we all hear about every other day now. Um, so the infection level in koalas is reduced. Um, separate to that, we also see a, a reduction in animals going on to get disease. And we did one NICE trial that, was, that took the vaccine and we gave it to animals that already had disease. We, we did this with ocular disease from an ethics point of view. In that case, 80% of the koalas at least were able to reduce their infection, uh, their disease, sorry, and they actually were cured of disease. So they were able wow. to be So all of those things have told us that we think the vaccine, well, not 100% perfect, but pretty good. Um, and so our, our phase right now, we'll continue to do basic research as you would, we need to do, but we're ready to roll the vaccine out, so to speak, in its current format um, to a range of populations, starting first of all with these wildlife hospitals because those animals are coming in, they're already there, they've already got other challenges, and so we're going to be able to uh, vaccinate you know, hundreds and getting towards a 1,000 koalas hopefully in the next six months. So that's where we're at. Incredible. Um, it sounds like they are, you know, incredibly promising results um, for, you know, what I imagine would be quite a lot of work in quite a lot of groups um, across the last 10 years. Yeah, it is. And it's, I mean, it's, a, it's a project that, sure, here at the university, we're an important part of it. Um, but the veterinarians are both at Walla Hospitals, um, particularly Australia Zoo Walla Hospital, but lots of others as well. There's lots of hospitals that have been part of it all. Um, and our field team, or not my field team, but there's a strong field team of veterinarians um, and, of course, all the other groups that have been helping us in all different ways, including lots of uh, community groups uh, and so on. It's all been part of a bigger, a bigger program that we're, we've reached at where we are now. So uh, couldn't have done it on our own, um, but we, you know, obviously uh, the basic research is an important part as well. So in your opinion, Peter, what are, I guess, the biggest challenges that the research faces moving into the next phase? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of things, I guess. Um, one of which is um, as good as a vaccine is, it's still a research type vaccine. So we'll be using that and we'll be improving the quality of it. Um, not that it's poor quality, but we just need to keep improving and improving and improving. So we'll be doing that as we move through these, uh, these rollout trials. But the parallel phase is we need to move it through an actual vaccine production where a company needs to take this on board and we need to get it approved by the veterinary authorities. Those steps are perhaps surprisingly are nearly as rigorous as human vaccine steps are. They're very high standards as, as they should be. Um, so that's one of our challenges at the moment to, to do that part of the process, um, all the paperwork and approvals and so on. The second part, I guess, is relates to the, the rollout phase is we can roll it out in these wildlife hospitals, um, which, as I mentioned, you know, we're in 400 koalas in this Australia mm. Zoo wildlife hospital, but also in there's two other wildlife hospitals. We hope to start within three months, so that'll bring the numbers up to over 1,000. Um, that's Queensland, and we've already started talking to groups in New South Wales as well, so we've got strong support from, for that. But then we need to move it out into wild populations, of course. Even though thousands of wildlife hospital koalas need to be helped, that's good. 
it's a good place to start, mm-hmm. but also to do it in the in a broader population. So we just see that happening in stages. Um, some people ask me, how will I vaccinate the last koala and the last tree? And the answer is, I'm not at the moment. I'm not trying to do that. Uh, we're trying to we're trying to do the, the animals that probably need help with their familial disease because they've got other threats as well. So, uh, and we see that happening in the next few years. And then, you know, who knows what might happen at that stage. So, Peter, I'm sure um, all of our listeners. I mean, everyone loves koalas. Um, how can people listening help this this cause? Yeah. Well, thanks. I think there's probably two levels they can do that. Um, at the first level, the community groups. There are lots of community groups that help us right now. But the community groups and koala carers, uh, which are out there everywhere, are bringing these koalas into this wildlife hospital. So you know, they may well be able to become part of that project. Um, secondly, of course, is the, the cost of research and all the cost of doing these rollouts. Um, you know, it's all expensive, and I'm sure people appreciate that. The field trials are literally hundreds of thousands of dollars each time in this next process. So... You know, we're hoping that there might be somebody out there that's uh, got some spare money or some entrepreneur that uh, thinks that, you know, for, for a couple of million dollars, they can help save Australia's koala population. So, um, if you know, if that's possible, that's that's greater, you know, anybody. Um, but but nevertheless, it's it's right down to the grassroots level of those community koala carers, which are just as important. And our approach with the vaccine, while we talk about doing big trials, every single koala matters. So, theoretically, every single koala get, that gets the vaccine Hopefully the same as you getting your COVID vaccine. It matters to every single one. So it's, it's at all. So thanks for that. Well, Peter, thank you so much for joining us today, uh, talking about the new and innovative ways uh, that we're applying vaccine development and vaccine rollout, which, you know, we're all very familiar with now um, to help protect our most beloved and endemic wildlife. That's great, Claire. Thanks for everything. Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Lost in Science. People who have listened to our show for a while will know we usually make a big deal every year about National Science Week because we like to spread the word and get people involved in science. But... National Science Week is not the only big event in the science calendar each year, and we should do more to promote some of the other science red-letter days that come around annually. And one of these is coming up soon on the 10th of November, as it does every year, this day, not the 10th of November, which obviously does come around every year. (laughs) Sure. Do either of you know what that might be? On the 10th of November, which comes every year. Mm, I've, it, it certainly doesn't stick out in my mind as a, as a day that I've ever celebrated or that I remember. Um, well, it is the World Science Day for Peace and Development. Wow. World. Yeah, yeah the World Science Day for Peace and Development. Yeah, just for peace and development. I mean, that, that rules out a lot of science, I think you'll find. <laughs> Well, only very, only very small part of it, but you know that's. I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. Actually, about you know science for peace and development. This is a day that was declared by UNESCO in two thousand and one with the aim of promoting science as the basis for the advancement of peaceful societies around the world, which is admittedly a pretty lofty goal and and also a big responsibility for science to take on. Um, I don't know if we can be solely responsible uh 
science for making peaceful societies around the world. But look, you know, somebody's got to do it, obviously. Um, I think there's a reasonable and rational basis for the idea. And the specific goals of the World Science Day for Peace and Development are to strengthen public awareness of the role of science for peaceful and sustainable societies. Pretty good goal. It's a good uh, goal. Mm-hmm. Promote national and international solidarity for shared science between countries. Okay. Yeah, that's so, also... So, you know, we'll, we'll get our scientists together and they can yeah. share all of their science with each other. Uh, renew national and international commitment for the use of science for the benefit of societies. Mm, great. And also draw attention to the challenges faced by science in raising support for the scientific endeavour. Mm. And I think that's also a big one there. And, you know, I think if we have seen anything in the last year, it's that there's a big uh, discrepancy between how scientists think about science and how nearly everyone else thinks about science. So we kind of got to close that gap, I guess, and, and pull people together and say science can help with nearly everything that we need to do to to have happy and healthy societies. Um, so each year has a specific theme to focus the day. Uh, that's the World Science Day for Peace and Development, just in case you've forgotten already. Last year was Science for and with Society, which I've got to say, that's kind of a bit, that's kind of a bit, yeah. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really have any punch to it. I've got to mm. admit. Um, and that was prompted by the COVID nineteen crisis itself. So it was aimed to encourage discussion about how nations could help each other and themselves cope with the pandemic. So all of those goals of you know cooperation and sharing information, all that, which actually worked pretty well with with uh with covid i think there was a lot of sharing of information and you know even people uh relax their commercial attachment to to information and shared openly all sorts of data and science and promoted uh scientific information quite openly uh, so the theme for this year is the future of sti impacts on education, skills, and work. Oh, what does STI stand for here? Yeah, yeah, so in some contexts, STI has quite a different meaning to what's intended yeah. here. Um, so STI can quite commonly stand for sexually transmitted infection. Uh, and while that may be a great idea for a World Science Day, I mean, absolutely, that is that is a worthy cause. That's, it's important. Yeah, absolutely. Completely important, not just for humans, obviously for koalas as well. For koalas. And other species. Yeah. But uh, the STI they're talking about here is science, technology, and innovation. Mm. And I do have to say, can you guys get a new acronym? Because yeah. this this is going to lead to some confusion. But There's, Yeah, yeah. Or maybe just switch them around. Yeah. Science, innovation, yeah. and technology. Sit. Yeah. Sit. Sit. The and all these. Sit. Every dog in the world just obeys this. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, look, the, the reason behind this is the increasing... Oh, they're trying to, the reason is they're trying to get the kids interested. And if they call it the future of STIs, then the kids will be, kids will be um, snickering behind their hands. 
That's a good idea, really. Possibly, possibly. Hopefully the kids take STIs seriously. Um, we'd have to talk to people in the health departments around the world to find out if that's true. Uh, but the reason that they're focusing on, and, and, and the focus, I should say, is this impact on education skills and work. So the increasing automation of labour in almost every industry, so obvious things like administration office work being changed by the use of online tools and connect connectivity, I think is the word that gets used a lot. So the, the internet has basically changed a lot of work around the world. And that's, that's an obvious impact of technology. Um, but even things like industrial work, you've got, you know, you've got your industrial robots that put cars together and things like that. But, um, you know, a lot of jobs are being taken over by increasingly complex and capable machines and technology is changing the face of work. Even things like bricklaying and construction are on the cusp of being changed by robotic systems. I've seen videos of bricklaying robots that can lay, you know, can, can build a brick wall in, you know, uh, a couple of hours compared to a few days. Wow. Um, oh. You know, there, there's a lot quicker ways of doing things. And even 3D printing of buildings using, you know, using available materials. So there's there's these gigantic uh, house-sized 3D printers which use concrete as the material, wow. cement as the material. And they can make rooms of any shape and size and, and put them together based on uh, a 3D model in a computer program. So even things like that, which you'd think, well, how could you possibly do that? Well, we can do that. And we're starting to find ways of doing these things which don't involve the amount of labour that they used to involve. So this technology is actually effectively putting people out of work. Um, so that's obviously going to have an impact on education as well because learning trades and workplace skills are a fundamental part of the education system around the world. So work will be reflected in the education system and the education systems themselves are going to be affected by the same technologies that are changing the work so the teachers jobs and the you know all the administration in running these educational institutions are also going to change as well so it's a huge kind of topic that they've approached here um now how people will cope with these changes is kind of what this world science day for peace and development is all about it's all about what are the effects on people and the conversations around how to best prepare people for these changes and protect them from possible detrimental effects like, you know, having to retrain after doing the same job for, for, you know, most of your career or coping, literally coping with lost employment because you get replaced by a robot or, or some new program. Um, you know, I mean, it, it, even, even this has already happened in, uh, in, in my lifetime. I remember, you know, the, the, the shift from people advertising things in newspapers meant that there was a whole crew of people who'd put classified ads in newspapers. They don't exist anymore because it's all online and you can put your own ad up and you don't have to pay someone to do that. So there's all sorts of weird little niche things that we probably don't even think about. That's the kind of discussions that they're hoping people will have uh, in relation to these technological advancements. Um, and I think the idea of having an international day to focus on the impact of science and technology on human society is a great idea. And I think we should promote 
the World Day for Peace and Development, or World Science Day for Peace and Development, because we do need to talk about this stuff. We can't just let it happen. Um, mm. So, and, and the other thing, and I said I'd come back to this, science is basically trying to get a better understanding of the world and how it works and the universe and how it works. Technology is a practical application of that improved understanding. And that's where we start to come into the human side of things is when we, we can, we can know all Mm. we want about the universe and how it works and, and the world and how it works. But when we turn that science knowledge into technology, it starts to have an impact on the real world. And that's where we live. So that's where we kind of have to look at the boundary between science and technology and the boundary between technology and society and kind of have these discussions. And I think science can be pushed forward by curiosity. A lot is, you know, a lot of science, we're just curious. We want to know how things work. Why does this happen this way? And that's what is kind of the driving force behind science. Technology tends to be led more by economic forces which don't necessarily have people's best interests at heart. They are just trying to make the quickest buck possible out of this amazing new technology, which is perfectly reasonable. That's how businesses operate and always have. But the intersection of science with technology and the intersection of technology with society is, I think, something worth talking about. Whether it brings about world peace is another thing, but I think it's worth giving it a try. And that's it for another episode of Lost in Science. Lost in Science is recorded for 3CR in Melbourne on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And it airs across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We would love you to get in touch with us. You can email us at lostinsci at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook where Lost in Science on 3CR or on Twitter where we're at Lost in Science 1. You can find us on your favourite podcast app where if you get the chance, please give us a good rating and review as that will raise us up in the search rankings so other people can find the science. Or you can listen to us however you listen to us now where at the same time every week, Claire, Stu and Chris get Lost in Science. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.